This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. My name is Brian Doak. I'm a professor and biblical scholar, and my most recent Adam and Eve moment is when my wife and I blamed each other for not taking out our kitchen Uh. garbage yesterday. (laughs) My name is Leah Payne. I'm a historian, author, professor, and I think the funnest creation myths are the ones in kid songs, like Stompy the Bear. That's fascinating. (laughs) Leah and I recently braced ourselves and watched Darren Aronofsky's either brilliant or utterly stupid or both epic horror allegory parable film called Mother. Mother tells the gruesome story of a married couple whose home is invaded with parables of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and the apocalypse, I guess. I don't we're, know. We're so confused that we've invited a friend of the show and film critic Joel Mayward of Cinemayward to help us out. Brief warning, this film is gruesome and we will be discussing some very adult topics. Join us. Join us. So I am in a, I wouldn't call it an elitist or a swanky, but I'm just going to call it a men's film club. <laughs> you know what? That I'm in a men's elitist. film that club. That sounds, I've, when you say adult I know, film club, I know how it sounds. sounds. I know how it sounds. A little, and I just want to say it's that just sounds like it's a look. It's red just flag. It's just men. I don't think I've even told just anybody. Just for men. It's just for men. <laughs> oh man. We meet once a week. I don't and know that it's. I don't know that by its charter it's just for men, but it did kind of end up that way. You have what is it? One or two men friends? Three. Yeah, three, three. Three, four men. Okay, who come over and you all watch? And we watch. Okay, so I, okay, so okay, so <laughs> I should rephrase. I should phrase this differently, which is to say what we decided Films to do. Okay. This is, this is a classic story of a film club. That's like, kind of like has a confused kind of charter where there's like competing interests because on the one hand, the person who started it, who's not me said that what they wanted it to be was like the idea, like, Hey, it was like kind of, it was a little bit low key. It was like, Hey, let's just watch cool old films that are of historical and artistic oh, nice. significance. Like Citizen Kane or something like yes, that. Yes. Although we vowed we would not be watching Citizen Kane. You have to watch it. Many of us have been already bored out of our minds oh, by please, Citizen Kane. Please. However, what it turned into is that there's another interest, a lobbyist, let's say, in the group who started to sneak in more contemporary films, which are have not yet been vetted to the classic level, oh, but okay. which are nonetheless have some wait, kind of art. Wait, what was the first one? Well, you mean the first film yeah, total? I want to. No, no, no. The first film that like crossed. The oh, that line. crossed the line. Uh huh. Um, when I wasn't there one week, they watched adaptation. Oh yeah, that's which is true. one of my favorite films, but one person hadn't seen it, and I was okay. like, "I'm not going to be there. Watch adaptation." So we crossed the line again this last week, though. Okay. And we crossed it with a film from 2017 called "Mother," or I think you have to say it like "Mother" because it has an exclamation point in the title. Mother. Well, it has a lowercase m to start. Yes. So this is already confusing. The confusion there is a perfect entry point to the movie. And so I didn't want to watch this film. Honestly, people had like buttonholed it on me. Like you should watch mother. If you're interested in like pop culture and religion, you should watch it. You should watch it. And I was you know like, what? That's always a red flag for me when people say that. That's always a red it's flag. The same people who said, have you read the Da Vinci code? Yep. It's that often, kind of, those are the vibes. Often that's the vibe. I know yeah. they don't want to admit it, but, <laughs> and so I was like, and so when this, when, when one member of the men, adult, men's film club and not adult films we're adults it's like grown-up films it's grown-up i should say grown-up okay adults who watch films that are grown-up films with artistic (laughs) merit when Uh when he suggested this one of the members of our group said yeah i'm out this week 
They're like, I don't want to watch that. Oh, like, I heard yes. it was horrible. Okay. And I was like, I want to be cool about it, but I don't want to watch it. But I kind of did. Well, that's like, that se- this, this seems like the kind of film, because I think of it as, as sort of the type of film that Brian Doak must watch. I know. And, and after <laughs> I watched it, I was like, yes, it is. And so what I did was I was like, I then I then passed it on evangelistically to Leah. To and I was me. like, Leah, have you seen Mother? She's like, what did you say when I said, have you seen Mother? I said, no, because I've been on a Jane Austen film adaptation kick, <laughs> which is a totally That's not other what I remember. kind of a thing. You Wait, said, what did I and say? It's, 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 I forget. It's, I forget what I said. You said, I'm afraid to watch it. Oh, yes. I, yes. Because <laughs> I'd seen the trailer yes. and it looked. No, you were right. Yes. You were right. So when you like, were you right to be afraid? You watched, you just finished it, right? I did. I did. I did. And, you know, I, I, I think that I'm not saying any spoiler to say that it is one of those either you love it or you hate it films. I don't think there's a middle ground on this one. Nope. I think it'd be tough to find it. Zero. We do have to warn our listeners as we go about this topic. Um, there are going to be some plot spoilers. And so you could yes. just pause the podcast right here. Go watch go it. Go watch Mother and then come back at this exact moment. Or you could just roll with us. But you know, we don't often issue trigger warning kind of things but this would be the kind of film where you probably would want to and also our conversation because we're going to actually talk about what happens yes we are so so hang in there and we'll reveal the plot but those are just the that's an additional warning to the warning Mm -hmm. i felt like more than any i mean this film is like a jumble of stuff it's kind of like beautiful and terrifying but also i mean am i can i confess to you that some of it i found confusing um okay is that okay do you am i in safe am i in safe company wait wait is well, this, yes, this is the same. Is this, space. was it, was this, <laughs> am I dumb if it was confusing to me, the film? Uh, I thought it was very confusing. Okay. I mean, not the <sighs> least of which, now, I don't know if we, where we, where, when do we want to evaluate where we, you know, fell on this because it's sort of a love it or hate it, but. Do you, I, do you just want to say, were you in the love it or the hate it? Well, I want to let another film reviewer state it for me. This is yes. from Dahlia <laughs> Balcazar. Okay for um uh well we might have to bleep it out okay but well, it's for media okay and she says this mother is what happens when a dude has an idea he thinks is brilliant oh man and no one checks up on it <laughs> <laughs> and to me that summed up the film because i think there's a fine line between violence toward an end yes and just like a, a um just a horrific enactment of of trauma i i'm a i'm a relatively new mother and i found this to be totally pointless now i told you i did i did tell you that there are a couple moments that it didn't really beat you over the face with its gruesome horror porn kind of stuff but that there were a couple of yes. moments mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. It kind of got to be a little over the top. I, I mean, I've I've watched films that are very, very violent. Unlike you, I actually enjoy horror. Yes, I, a lot. I don't enjoy horror. Yeah, I I like it as a genre, but I did not. So this this film reviewer um, Dahlia Balcazar says this isn't actually horror. This is just a film that pretends to be horror in order to, to get, show yeah. a woman being violated and traumatized in like the oh. most horrific way. Well, I hate to be such a killjoy about it, but that was no, my No, you that should. That was my experience. I was like, I'm not opposed to violence in f- film, but why? It has you have to it has to be like towards some statement. Oh. I mean, that's that's strong. Maybe I'm too shallow. Here's no, the problem. No, Here's you're the problem. not shallow. You're I not shallow. I am not artsy enough 
to understand no, this film. No. You are the artsy person, and I think that you need do you to explain remember, this to me. Do you remember the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Of course. Do you yes. remember how they had that segment, which is like phone a friend, when you were just like, you want to give an answer, but you're like- We need an answer, yeah. I need, before I say, I'm not even sure, honestly, and I- just hearing you say that already like moves the dial for me, but I'm not even, I, I could violate though your thing about love it or hate it. Cause I'm not sure that I fall, but oh, yeah. okay. I would like to phone a friend. Let's phone a friend. I'd like we to phone help. a friend. I'd like to phone a, fr you know who we should call? Who? You know, who we should call, we should who? call Joel Mayward. We actually he know, should. we know a real film critic. He's big. Someone, Dr. Who, has a, Joel someone who has a PhD in philosophy and theology and film criticism. Who's written like, does I mean if you count his 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 articles on Cinemaword his website I mean just like hundreds of yes, articles film reviews serious film publications critic. about this stuff he's even published on this film like serious stuff and I have one of his articles um, right here um, oh yes in I, in a journal we um, should call him transpositions we should call him but he's in the UK do you think he'd talk with us let's find well out. it's like one thirty right now here. And so it's like 9.30 there. Is that eight hours? Let me check online. Yeah, London time right now is like, it's 9.30 at night. That's not very late. Let's try him. Let's just try him, okay? Uh, get out the get out the thing. Hello? <laughs> Joel! Joel! Joel, Joel, this, jo hey. Joel, this is Brian and Leah from Weird Religion. Dr. Joel Mayward, <laughs> welcome to Weird Religion. Thank you for taking our call. Leah and Brian, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, I feel like I, I'm a big fan of Weird Religion. This is one of those, you know, first time caller type of moments. Oh. You called me. <laughs> oh, we are so excited. Oh, to have we you called you. Now, did we wake you up? Are you a go to bed at nine o'clock kind of person? No, I, well, it's, it's light outside here in Scotland because it's June Ooh. and so I'm wide awake and just hanging out here in the beautiful Scottish, uh, landscape. I think those of us in the U S forget that it can kind of be like a land of the midnight sun kind of scenario mm -hmm. over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's enchanting. Uh, the Scottish, yeah, it's just a beautiful landscape. Uh, so I'm awake. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Dr. Mayward. We have a question. We have for a stumper, you. stumper for you. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for anything? I'm ready. I'm ready for anything. Anything you throw at me, I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> well, we want to talk with you about the film Mother. Mother that you reviewed. Uh, is it pronounced Mother, Mother or? I think it's Mother. How would you say the How would you say the title <laughs> of Darren Aronofsky's 2017 lowercase M O T H E R exclamation point film that you reviewed Mother? I think it's just. Mother. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounds like Psycho, the film, you know, yeah. where he's like, mother. Mother. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah we, I, I read your review and I have to say, I think that you elevated this film. Tell us, tell us your, your thoughts on Mother. Well, thank, well thanks for reading the, the film review. Sometimes, I mean, nowadays people just look at the star ratings and it's, that's it. You know, it's, a lower star rating or upper star rating or Rotten Tomatoes, right? Rotten right, 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 right. Uh, we film critics love it when somebody actually reads what we're writing out there. Could you, do you think you could, one thing that helps sometimes our listeners when we're talking about a piece of media that maybe they haven't heard is, could you just like review the plot, like bare bones, what happens in Mother? Absolutely. So Darren Aronofsky's film Mother from 2017, uh, it's about a married couple starring Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. And Jennifer Lawrence is credited as mother. She's the eponymous mother, it seems. And Javier Bardem is just listed as him. Him? In the credits. I didn't notice so that. him 
and mother. And the two live in this big house out in the countryside somewhere. They're all alone. He's a poet, an artist who's working on this unfinished work, kind of experiencing writer's block of some sort, while she is busy renovating his childhood home for him. And so she spends her days working on the house. He spends his days in his office. And then a man shows up who's played by Ed Harris. And then his wife, later on, just known as Woman, who's played by Michelle Pfeiffer, they both unexpectedly arrive at their door. Javier Bardem's husband character invites them in. And then just a bunch of awkward social faux pas start to happen uh, where these two people keep hanging out and lingering and doing things around the house that makes uh, Jennifer Lawrence's mother uncomfortable. Why are you painting my house? Well, it's been so kind to everyone. It's the least we could do. Stop! Both of you, stop! No problem. There you are, my goddess, come here. Please make some room for her. Thank you. Here, you've got to hear these stories. They, oh, these people. I know, they're just letting off steam. They're painting our house. Oh. You're right. I told you to stop drinking. I got it. Nothing. Yeah, I got and then their sons arrive, and then more people arrive, and the husband, Javier Bardem's character, keeps letting people come in until it just becomes this, uh, basically an introvert's worst nightmare. Uh, yes. Lots of people coming over for a, a party and refusing to leave. Yep. And I... a lot of violent things happen too, but we can get into that later. That is the basic plot though. After they invite them in, it, start, it kicks off a series of events, which is roughly the second half of the film, which leads to just like horrendous and graphic graphic acts of violence against the family. Yep. That's exactly. <laughs> or, or against, or actually I, not I even know. the family, I not the family. It's against the woman it's against and the, the child. It's against the woman and the child. So she becomes pregnant at a point and mm-hmm. has a baby and. Well, let's just I, I, yeah. Let's just skip right to it. Um, there, the, I feel like we can't really talk about it unless we talk. We about can't that. talk about it unless we point out they have a baby and they've been wanting to have a baby, and that's part of the plot that they've wanted to have this baby. But when she has the baby, there's like this throng of cult-like worshippers, let's say, of Javier Bardem's character, him, who are like obsessed with his poetry. And when they have the baby, he wants to take the baby out into their house, where these people have totally torn apart their house and turned it into a shrine to him. And he wants to show them the baby. And she's like, no, no. And he basically waits till she falls asleep, takes the baby out there, gives it to the crowd. And the crowd consumes the baby. Here's where... There's no other way to put that, right? They eat the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what I want to ask, Joel. Can you explain? (laughs) Like, when I, I... My initial response is... This is like somebody trying to say something like high art about like the high about a man and his art, his creativity. And and then it's like, then kill a baby. I just, I don't, I don't understand any sort of higher form other than a guy who thinks this is how I talk about high art. 
Well, Am I missing something? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, on some level, I don't think you are. I think that's the part of it is there's this artist character and it, it does kind of um, present him in this godlike manner. And his beautiful young wife, uh, who's his muse of sorts, uh, basically getting torn apart uh, in the process as he creates this beautiful thing, whatever this poetry is that we never actually see or hear from, um, while she and her child ultimately are the um, kind of left in the wake, in the violent wake of his self-aggrandizement and all his worshipers following him. But there's something more going on here, I think. And this is what I think is interesting for a podcast like Weird Religion, is that it the film itself has been explicitly described as an allegory. And Aronofsky, in uh, various interviews, tried to explain it to people uh, who were kind of missing what was going on with his allegory. And he's basically retelling the biblical tale of Genesis, uh, really the whole Bible, but Genesis 1 through 11 in particular, uh, and trying to package that in a way that is both critiquing Christianity and fundamentalist religion, uh, while also presenting a kind of environmentalist treatise about taking care of, of the world and taking care of the environment. And that's part of Aronofsky's background. So he's, he's Jewish. Um, he's dealt with Jewish uh, themes and tropes in his previous films, like in Pi. Uh, and then the, the Bible film, Noah, uh, kind of the, the, another ecologically friendly film that reimagines uh, what a biblical story was like uh, through the lens of taking care of the created world uh, and includes a lot of really esoteric and, and interesting and kind of even off-putting uh, interpretations of Jewish uh, midrash and uh, other texts that deal with the Noah story. And so I think what Mother is doing is something similar, where we're, we're taking the biblical tale, we're making it into this allegorical uh, home invasion horror film, uh, but along the way, and this is what I think you're getting at, Leah, is that he's also just kind of, whether he realizes it or not, is acting in a fairly misogynistic and anti-woman sort of way, uh, where he basically takes his beautiful young muse, Jennifer Lawrence, and abuses her throughout the film on screen while we are watching helplessly as the audience. And that's that's really troubling, uh, to put it mildly. Okay, here's, I, I am not trying to defend the troubling dynamic, but I think there's a plot point here about this allegory or its biblical resonance that turns the tables on the viewers a little bit. And I wonder, Leah, if this makes you rethink it in any way. Okay, It okay. may not. Something about the look on try your face me. right now try tells me, me <laughs> that this is <laughs> not me. going to move the dial I'm open. I'm okay, open-ish. Okay. I, I will take you at your word there, and I will say this. The story replays the Garden of Eden thing. There's like a uh, there's like a little, like a stone, some kind of crystal that him has that no one's supposed to touch, but the Adam and Eve characters, who are, I guess, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer, they're Adam and Eve. She goes in and she they touch it and they break it. And that's like violation, the Garden of Eve. It, it, exactly. Yeah. Then they have sons that one son kills the other one out of jealousy. Um, and it's like, it almost becomes like super on the nose, Cain and Abel. Like the older son who kill, or yeah, the one who kills says, you never liked my stuff as much as the other one. You know, it's like straight from the Bible, uh, basically. Right, right. Get up, get up. Stop thinking, get up. Get up, look at me. 
It's, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. They never really loved me. They always loved him more. They were leaving me behind. Just tell me you understand. Tell me you understand. Just you understand. What did you do to your brother? What did you do? What did you do? However, what's next, though, in the allegory? It sort of like goes through some weird things, skips some stuff. There's like a vague reference, Jennifer, Apoco- or Jennifer Apocalypse. Jennifer Lawrence, mother, is like, well, I guess there's nothing left now but the apocalypse. And you're like, oh, shoot, they're going to now do that. Well, now you get the massive home invasion by the throng. And OK, they have the baby. The baby is given to the crowd, consumed. Mm-hmm. They're eating the baby. Mm-hmm. However, him, the God figure, I guess, right? He's mm-hmm. God in this very, very straightforward allegory comes up and says, Oh no, but it's beautiful that they've eaten our baby. We'll just forgive them, right? It's Jesus. And now they're taking communion. And in the very end, you realize that in fact, and then this is like the big, like plot twist at the end. He's God. She is, I guess, question mark. Maybe she's like the Holy spirit or she's like mother earth or she's some female component. Leah's making a puking motion. (laughs) And it basically, you, you get the sense that it's cyclical, that it's starting all over again. And the thing I took away from that was a little different. I took it as like a pretty big slam in the face of like monotheistic religion. He's saying, this is what God is like. God is a demonic torturer. This is what, what him does in the film, Arnovsky is saying, is what God does in the world. And what Christianity is, is glorifying an act of violence just as bad as eating a baby, but like turning it into something like, oh, isn't it wonderful? We can now partake in his body. And also he forgave us for killing him. So it's a pretty dark statement on Christianity. And it's a dark statement on theodicy. This whole question of like, why do people suffer? We suffer because God is a creative genius who can't handle himself and who has to basically subject us to torture because he thinks it's art. And we're like, Leah, we're like, that's art. That's not art. That's ridiculous. But so in that reading, it's like, it's a criticism. It's a dark criticism, right? Now you may say that criticism is horrible. It's unfair. It's untrue. But that's, I think what he's trying to do. Is that fair? or Is that not fair? I'm just going to point out how long you both have spent explaining (laughs) this film and this is my critique okay this is this is my family in my family my brother and sister and i would when we'd eat dinners together we would have competitions to see who could be the funniest yeah and everybody knows that you if you have to explain a joke it's not funny right it kills the joke i see and this is this this is my critique of this is that you all had to explain so much and a well-executed parable slash allegory slash metaphor ought not to put so much responsibility on the reader to explain for what I think is just not well executed. I hear what you're saying. Joel, save us. What do you think? No, I, I think you're absolutely right, Leah. I think if you're having to explain the allegory, then it's not working as an allegory. Right? So you know what? It's like we could watch The Lorax no, by but, Dr. Okay, Seuss but and no, talk about creation. No, care. but wait. But it's 
I thought, okay, but Joel, one of your criticisms in your review and also in your longer article that it's not the main point of your criticism is that it's too on the nose. And you you get right. you, you seem annoyed about this idea that people would call it either. I mean, maybe you could explain what you think the difference is, Joel, between a parable and an allegory, because if it's so on the nose, though, and it almost doesn't have to be explained. Why are we explaining it? I guess. Yeah. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are differences between an allegory and a parable, and I can get into that. Uh, I have actually pretty strong opinions on that one. Uh, but that, <laughs> I think what's uh, going on here with Mother is it's, um, I think there's a question of biblical literacy that's going on mm-hmm. and what what is trying to happen. Like once you see the film as that biblical allegory, and actually re-watching it a second time for me was really eye-opening in that regard. And I picked up on little details, like even... Uh, there's a sink that isn't braced that Jennifer Lawrence says multiple times, the sink isn't braced, which is almost funny. Yeah. And then finally it breaks and f- essentially floods the house. And there's oh, the biblical flood narrative the flood. that's happening. I didn't get that. Um, I didn't catch the that. The Cain character, he actually gets a mark on his head after he attacks and kills his brother. There's yes. the mark of Cain. I did notice that. Um, so there's all these little itty bitty pieces, but that becomes... Um, I think a distraction from what really good art does, good art is evocative and brings out new meanings and allows us to respond to the art for what it is. And if we have to be told what an artwork is, including a film from the artist and have it be overtly explained, you know, this means this and this means this, then it's just kind of a giant cinematic mansplaining. And I don't find that very compelling. Leah just pointed at me. Just no, FYI. no, no. I pointed, I pointed like, yes, I agree at the screen where Joel. I'm going to take it as talking. a double point. Okay. You know, no, I mean, that's, that, that's my problem with it. I actually don't have a problem at all. You know what? His Noah's, what was his Noah's Ark? Yeah, Noah, Noah, just called yeah. Noah. I, I didn't hate that movie. Oh, I was really? like, oh, fun. Nephilim. I thought it was Interesting fun too. Interesting interpretation. You know, either. like that felt sort of like imagination. Um, But this one Yes. I just think if the guy has to explain it so much, then it's not it, my my problem. I have two problems. I don't like seeing that kind of violence toward a baby and a woman yeah. like toward, you know, anyone. If there's no like if, if there was a if there was a compelling like point that was to be made, I'm like, OK, maybe I uh, I'll listen. But I didn't like that so I guess that's sort of like a moral frustration with it but the other one is just execution I'm like I is this you know like Kill Bill had stuff to say about things and is a horrific violence and kind Mm. of like comic book levels of violence but I wasn't I was like okay I'll watch it you know but this I just felt like what is right now, Joel, this is this is kind of like putting you on the spot here. But I noticed on your film site, I started clicking around in your film journals and what you've rated things. And I thought that you and I should be film friends forever because I saw that you rated The Night of the Hunter five out of five. And oh, Night of the Hunter is one of my favorite films of all time. Night of the Hunter was uh, our Night of the Hunter was our inaugural film in the I was describing to Leah earlier before we called you a swanky um um, film club that I'm a part of where we watch <laughs> one film per week and our inaugural first film which was chosen by someone who had no idea what it was about just out of the blue was The Night of the Hunter I loved it also though there's maybe it's not too artificial to bring that up to say there are themes here of protecting children and mm-hmm. obviously you must have thought that a film like Night of the Hunter which is a classic which anyone should see with with a kind of a threat also deep theological themes that that was much more effective as a piece of art and in terms of the way that it treated 
children and women and so on as as opposed to this film. Maybe they're not the two best ones to compare, but I'm putting you on the spot. Compare them. No, that's a, that's a really interesting comparison to make because I do think, I mean, The Night of the Hunter deals with religious fundamentalism and ideology. It deals with violence against women and violence against children from religious people uh, or quasi-religious people, this serial killer who goes around killing widows and taking their money uh, and, and wraps that all up in this, uh, you know, dark fantasy fairy tale like aesthetic but the way that that story is told and this is what i think leah is hitting at too right like it's not just the content is it can be offensive and i think it definitely is offensive and unjustifiable here particularly at the end again eating a baby is just awful but even after that there's a, there's a violent action like they basically grab jennifer lawrence's yes. character and yes. pound her. Yes. that was the worst scene and that, i thought that was the worst scene, and the actually. heart I, when he takes her heart out it's just like what uh, anyway keep going it's terrible i mean the yeah the final 15 minutes are just awful in a way that does feel unjustifiable whereas the night of the hunter you're left watching these characters undergo this conflict of good and evil and how religion is wrapped up within that. And then at the end, I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler of Night of the Hunter, but you all should still see it because it's one of the best films ever made. Uh, the There is a beautiful, strong, godly, fierce woman uh, who takes down this man, mm-hmm. um, literally, like is shooting at him with a shotgun and defending <laughs> these young children in a way that is such a, you know, counter example to what's going on uh, with mother, where basically everything is terrible. It's an endless cycle of humans are the worst. And it is kind of a apocalyptic, not in a revelatory sense, like what the actual biblical word, you know, it's revelation or reveals what's going on. Um, But apocalyptic in the sense of everything is terrible, and it's all just going to burn. And so I find uh, that that just ultimately that kind of artwork uh, doesn't generate like once we understand the allegory once we've picked up all the pieces and then once we've experienced the awfulness of the last 15 minutes what can we do with mother what more is there to say uh, it doesn't li- really leave us with too many other ways to unpack it or interpret it mm. and so we're just kind of left going Ugh. yeah that's it Ugh. yeah i mean you know i i don't know if you all Um, feel this way but I know that there's sort of like an American need for like optimism hope vengeance you know like culturally we kind of like stories like that so maybe this is just me being in my own cultural climate and moment but I, I, I just I think the the idea that that she's stuck there forever and that we it, it's implied that this will just happen again. I, I got the feeling that this was supposed to be like, get it, Mother Earth. It's a metaphor. And I was like, <laughs> I still just I don't know. I don't I think I'm with you, Joel, where it's like, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, it was I don't, it was biblical and it was Christian in the sense that it was very on the nose retelling these stories that, that you'd be familiar with. But then at the end, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, oh, theologians, but it's not a Christian like an eternal loop of history is not a Christian theme, which is what the film (laughs) presents at at the end. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I thought was so, so just to let you know, Joel, I've, I was a friend of mine. We're talking about the film clueless, which is an adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. So I've been Mm -hmm. thinking about, and it's actually a really like weirdly well executed. So I've been thinking about adaptation. You right. Oh, you like it. Okay. I love it. I love it. (laughs) 
Okay, we need to have another talk about this one. But um, I've been thinking about just like adapting classic stories. And Brian, your work is all about like ancient storytelling and stories. Is there's like a special skill to it? You really have to. Um, there's something missing here with how he's adapting an ancient story to modern times. What What do you all think of that? Yeah, go for it, Joel. Well, I think this is where maybe I can bring up the whole idea of parable versus allegory again here. I think with Jesus' parables, um, the way that he was telling stories, uh, they're they're evocative and provocative, mm-hmm. and they're very simple and basic. Like we can understand the, the story of the Good Samaritan. We can understand the story of uh, the prodigal. And the, the numerous artworks have been made and references made beyond that in biblical reception history. Um, but there are stories that continue to bring us back to them and we continue to reinterpret them over and over again. And so the parables generate, they're generative. They, they bring out new things as we look at them and reinterpret them within our own particular contexts. And so uh, the parables speak to us today in a way that is still just as rich and profound as when Jesus was speaking to them, uh, literally, orally, verbally, out loud to people, you know, 2,000 some odd years ago or whatever. Um, Whereas, again, an allegory uh, and a strict allegory where there's this kind of singular intended meaning that has an external referent to it. So this stands for this. There's some sort of avatar or cipher for it. If, you, if you're not in the right cultural mindset or context, or if you don't pick up on what that referent is, um, then you're just left either feeling clueless or dumb. And it's not generative anymore. It's just like, oh, I don't like feeling stupid. Uh, or I don't <laughs> like being offended, like with mother. Like, it's just, this is awful and offensive. Why am I putting myself through this? I thought I just wanted a two-hour, you know, escape. <laughs> you know what? You know, one thing I thought they were going to do that, that, he didn't end up doing I thought they were going to do something about because she's like the picture of white womanhood you know she's like very delicate she's so yeah. beautiful a lot of she, stylized scenes presenting her that way too. yeah she looks like a renaissance painting so I thought they were going to do some sort of thing about like violence and white womanhood and like you know were, were they going to go that no they didn't end up doing that I thought there was going to be some sort the whole time just to back up your point the whole time I kept thinking what am I not getting? And then by the end, I was like, I don't, I just think I didn't get it at all. Now <laughs> I've had students. So I taught this actually, like I taught a class at St. Andrews on biblical reception history. Uh-huh. And I did one lecture on the Bible and film and brought this up as an example of the Bible kind of in or on film. And one of my students came up to me afterwards and was just like, I felt like a light bulb went off when you explained it. Cause I watched that movie and hated it. And then you explained it and it made sense but I still hate it, but I now understand it. <laughs> right. But that, And now it's kind of wrapped up in a neat bow that, okay, I've figured out how to understand that, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything more. Where a parable, again, is there's this generativity or a multiplicity of possible meanings that is encapsulated with the whole narrative there that moves us or affects us or teases us into active thought that we can talk about it. Now, arguably, we're still talking about mother. So yeah, there we, there we go. There we go. Well, and I... I um, yeah, it's but true. It's not the same as a parable. Yeah, I, I, I wonder as we sort of like, you know, wrap this up. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm more convinced. I didn't, I did not love the film. I don't like watching films like that. I thought it was interesting because I like the Bible, 
So I was like, oh, seeing like, mm-hmm. like the Cain and Abel story is like one of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. And so just to me, I, I was looking at it with a much more narrow lens um, and with a kind of ignorance. It's not like I didn't see the violence toward women going on and thought, oh, that's funny. You know, <laughs> I did not think that. I was like, it's horrible, but it didn't affect me in the same way. Obviously, as Leah's saying, it affected her because I was, for me, something like that as a non-child bearer could just be like speculative art material. Whereas uh, I think I feel a little bit more sensitized even just hearing the both of you talk to how that would, that would, uh, you know, further be just, that could be taken very differently. Seeing her pounded and pummeled and beat up. That was the worst scene in all of cinema that I've seen recently that I can Mm -hmm. think of. I was just Mm -hmm. like, that's horrible. That's just like horror for horror's sake. However, you say, Dr. Mayward, in your article in Transpositions, Darren Aronofsky's Mother and Cinematic Parables, you have a kind of, in a way, you sort of end that article with a kind of, I don't know, um, a sort of antidote film um, called The Unknown Girl, where which you say is a much better example of something that's theologically and biblically literate and also a parable, but just much better. I wonder if you could kind of like... Just palette kind of, cleanse Yeah, kind of palette us. cleanse with us here <laughs> as we close with like, tell us a little bit about this film, The Unknown Girl. Yeah, absolutely. So The Unknown Girl is another 2017 film uh, and it's made by Belgian filmmakers Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne. And these are the filmmakers that I actually completed my PhD thesis on. So oh, I wow. focused on their films oh, that's and great. how their films are actually doing theology, not just depicting or illustrating it. So how can theology be done in uh, a cinematic form, an audiovisual medium? And so the film follows a young doctor, uh, Jenny, who's played by a French actress, Adele Haneo, who is also in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, oh. if you're familiar with that oh, film. Oh, yeah. Uh, so she's so this is before that film um and so this she's a young doctor she works with working class patients in belgium uh and her when the door to her medical clinic rings after hours uh she uses it as this kind of teachable moment with her intern uh to you know kind of patient doctor boundaries and doesn't open the door but then learns from police later that actually a young immigrant woman was pounding at the door trying to escape some sort of attacker and was found dead near the river across the way from this doctor's office. Wow. And so if the door had been open, what then? Like what would have happened? And so Jenny goes on this kind of detective search. Like she she puts on her detective hat. It's a bit of a neo-noir kind of film where there's a lot of mysteries and twists and turns and you're trying to figure out who, who was actually the killer of this young woman. But it also generates all sorts of questions about hospitality. Um, The young woman was a black immigrant woman. Jenny is a white European doctor. So borders and refugees and boundaries between these various cultures, uh, particularly in what's going on in Europe today. But this also, again, this applies as a parable to the questions about borders in the United States, questions about hospitality and welcoming in the other. Uh, and it does so in a way that doesn't necessarily uh, make explicit references to religion per se, or, you know, Jenny doesn't stand for Jesus in some sort of explicit Christ figure sense, but it does generate theological and moral thought. It teases our imaginations into thought. Uh, and it does so on an emotional level too. It's a very deeply affecting film. Um, so the Dardenne's films are films that I, I come back to over and over again. Uh, and still find myself moved to tears by the end. Uh, and that's, a, again, that's a powerful work of art that can do that. Where mother, you watch it and maybe you're moved to tears because it's so traumatizing. Uh, the unknown girl is is something that makes you want to be a better person. Um, and it, 
it does so in a mysterious kind of way too. And that's the kind of thing that I find fascinating about film, how it affects our imaginations in that way. That when films, traditionally in Christianity in particular, we look at films through the lens of, you know, it's sinful, it's cinema and this bad content and how can we get away from it, you know, distracting us from Jesus or that kind of thing. I'm really interested in how cinema actually does the opposite and can have a positive moral and theological and spiritual way of forming us as people. How, I mean, it sounds like Brian, if you're having a film, uh, film club and uh, did you call it an adult film club? Well, um, <laughs> you know, it was it's well, a long story. Uh, I call, it's a long story. It's a um, all that. I mean, that's that's it's a community building, generative. Yeah. It sounds like it's forming friendships and conversations that are coming out of that that might not otherwise have happened, and it's based around watching films. Yeah, and I think that that's a beautiful act of. I mean, this is religious, a religious act, even a liturgical act, you could say or a form of discipleship. Maybe you're not thinking of it that way necessarily, Brian. Um, no, we're not. We're, we're, even if you're not, yeah. like there's still a spiritual work being done yeah. even in watching movies. I totally agree with that. Now back to, now one of Leah's opening comments to me was like, this is a love it or hate it film. And she's basically saying, hate it. You rated this three out of five, which suggests that you neither loved it nor hated it. You thought it had some artistic merit. Is, the, is it fair that you're not in the love it or hate it category? I, I'm in the mixed. I am in the, I respect the ambition. Uh, I actually respect the performances that are given. I think Jennifer oh. Lawrence does a great, fine job of she does. what she's being given. She They're does. both uh, excellent actors. I like both the actors. Yeah. 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 I actually thought Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer as the Adam and Eve characters. Oh, Michelle, Michelle, Pfeiffer, is Michelle Pfeiffer was like wicked. Like she was yeah. something else. Yeah. yeah. I have no, no beef with them. So those aspects I find, I can't ignore that. Like that's, it's a well-made film in that sense. And some of the cinematography and the sound design I find compelling. Yeah. But the, so formally interesting content wise, again, kind of heavy handed mansplainy biblical <laughs> allegory. I, I find that less compelling or interesting. Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. Keep it weird, everyone. 24-7-365. For extras on subjects covered in this episode and other related jokes, don't forget to follow us on the socials and visit our website, weirdreligion.com. We're doing our own production these days with some musical stylings by our very own Brian Doak, but our official theme music is still by Cassie Blum. Our album artwork is by the talented John Williams. When you podcast, podcast with us. That's all you need to know. (laughs) 